Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Missouri held its primary election last night. Voters said yes to expanding Medicaid, and they also voted in a number of state and local races. By far the biggest news last night came out of Missouri's first congressional district. That seat has been held for more than 50 years by members of the Clay family. But last night, Cori Bush, an activist best known for leading protests against police brutality on the streets of St. Louis, beat William Lacey Clay Jr. We've been called radicals, yeah. terrorists. Yeah. We've been dismissed as impossible, as an impossible fringe movement. That's what they called us. But now we are a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-faith mass movement united in demanding change, in demanding accountability, in demanding that our police, our government, our country recognize that black lives do indeed matter. And that was Corey Bush speaking last night at North Oaks Plaza in North St. Louis County. And here to discuss her victory and all of last night's big results is St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jason Rosenbaum. Jason, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So how big a deal was Corey Bush's victory last night? You know, Sarah, um, on the day after elections, usually reporters like me have gotten literally no sleep and we're prone to hyperbole. And we say, like, this is the biggest event ever. And it kind of comes off as crazy. But And I've thought about this. This is one of the biggest moments in modern St. Louis political history. Cori Bush defeating Lacey Clay not only ends a 50-plus year era where either Bill Clay or Lacey Clay represented the first congressional district, but it also, I think, marks the first time that an active participant in the protests over Michael Brown's shooting death is heading to Congress. I can't emphasize how big of a deal that is for a lot of people in St. Louis who have toiled in that movement for years, sometimes with uh, lack of success politically, at the toll to their mental health, at a toll to their reputations. And the fact that someone like Cori Bush, who is part of that movement, is now going to be a voice in Congress. I I was telling you earlier, I think this is a bigger deal than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez winning. I, re- me, I really do. Your analysis of that, I think, was was very interesting and very astute. Why do you see this as bigger than that which on its face seems fairly similar? Well, first of all, I don't want to diminish AOC's win over Joseph Crowley because it, it led to a number of other incumbent Congress people losing their jobs. But what I would argue is that that was kind of a result of like an intra-party New York Democratic battle. You had a situation where a white guy was representing a district that was becoming a lot less white. So it allowed somebody like Ocasio-Cortez to win. Same with Jamal Bowman against Elliot Ingold. That's not the case here. The first congressional district is not a not a diversifying district. It is a plurality black district. And Lace- has been. And has been for a while. Uh, Lacey Clay is black. So is Cori Bush. And and Lacey Clay and his father were able to command the respect and uh, votes from black residents in St. Louis for well over 50 years. And the fact is, and I have the word by word 
numbers here. Uh, I said for for days and weeks that the only way Bush was going to win this race is she had to get more black voters than she did in 2018. Because she did run against Lacey Clay two years ago, and she lost. He he won that race pretty solidly. By 20 percentage points. And in, for example, the second ward, which is almost 99 percent black, Clay won 56-41. And that may not seem good, but if you go back to 2018, Clay won 80-20. In the third ward, 56-39. The fifth ward, which uh, Bush actually won by one percentage point. And then in some of the some of the south side wards with large black populations, like the sixth ward and the ninth ward, Bush won like 56-39 in the sixth ward. And in the ninth ward, 64-30. And uh, kept it pretty close in places like the 19th and 26th wards, which are also majority black. So that's the reason Cori Bush won this race. She won a 10-point margin in the city, which was enough to overtake Clay's four-point margin in the county. And she did it by winning more black voters and adding to her coalition of, of white voters in the central corridor and south parts of the city. So what do you think changed in the last two years? Cori Bush is very much the same person she was two years ago. And Lacey Clay, frankly, is, is the person he was two years ago. He hasn't had any major scandal or, or something that's been attached to him that would have angered people. I think that there are, are several things you could point to. First of all, Cori Bush's campaign in 2020 was well well funded better funded than 2018 it was highly disciplined and well organized um i i got a sense i got to go in and interview cory bush at that place where she declared victory i could tell it was a well-oiled machine full of volunteers and people ready to like go get votes places I think another thing, too, is you had outside groups that are linked to Bernie Sanders, the Justice Democrats, spend real money on television ads and radio ads. Also, Cori Bush was was had had very high quality television ads, too. That makes a huge difference sometimes in, in this race. And I would also just point out that I noticed that Lacey Clay was a lot more aggressive than any of the other campaigns I've covered where he's had real competition. And some of the aggressiveness, I think, turned off voters. There was a mailer, for example, that pointed out the fact that Cori Bush had been evicted three times, which caused a lot of people online to be like, wait, we're going through an eviction crisis right now. Why would that necessarily be a negative? It could actually make Cori Bush more relatable. The other thing, too, that uh, Clay was attacking Bush on was the fact that Bush was taking a candidate's salary. And that's been legal for around 20 years. And it, I think that really fell flat. These attacks were pretty nasty. Um, and it felt like maybe he saw her coming. Maybe he had some polling data that she was doing better than, than many people in the media thought. Do you think that's possible? I, you know, I kind of I didn't necessarily subscribe to the idea that Clay was not taking Cori Bush seriously or that the, he had never been challenged, because that's just not true. In the past, like, four or five election cycles, he's run against Russ Carnahan. Himself a former congressman. Uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal, a state senator, very formidable. Cori Bush in t 2018. He did not have credible competition in 2014. But I, they, those were real. That was real competition, and in those those particular races, the black voters that had been voting for either Lacey or Bill Clay voted for him overwhelmingly, especially in uh, 2016 and 2018. That just 
didn't happen this time around. I don't have the county township results, but the fact that most of the townships in uh, St. Louis County that make up the first congressional district are majority black, and the fact that Cori Bush only lost by four percentage points, it, there's no other assumption I, I can make that she did a lot better in those black townships, and she got the black voters she needed to win. Do you think this is this speaks to a growing acceptance of the Black Lives Matter movement and the kind of protests that she was leading, that maybe people weren't sure how they all felt about this a few years ago, but the acceptance seems to be growing? It could be, but it could also be something else. This was an election where you saw two black women running for re-election in Kim Gardner and Tashara Jones, and they were under withering attack from their opponents, as was Cori Bush from, from And not her. just from their opponents, from some dark money mailers and uh, some vicious third-party it, groups. It's very possible that Cori Bush may have gained support from black women who were, who were turned off by who were the same black women that voted for Gardner and Tashara Jones, that they saw a black woman running in a race, saw her getting attacked, and said, wait a minute, this isn't right. I'm going to vote for her this time. I, I don't have any definitive proof of that because we don't have like data that says like, you know, how many black women voted for Cori Bush versus Lacey Clay. I don't think that's an unreasonable assumption, especially if you look at the results in the Gardner or Tashar, the Gardner or Tashar Jones races. If you're listening to this conversation and you have insight into this, and we're also curious, what was your reaction overall to last night's election results? Or do you have a question for Jason Rosenbaum? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air, or you can email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. As you mentioned, Tashara Jones, she was facing a challenger to be reelected to treasurer. I think it's, it's pretty much an open secret. She's planning to run for mayor very shortly. But I think that's she, a fair assumption. Yeah, she wanted to hold that treasurer's seat first, and she absolutely did. And Kim Gardner, as you say, um, under withering attack as the circuit attorney, she also decisively won this race. Um, Kayla Reed, who's been a guest on this show several times, she's an activist who really great at running these get-out-the-vote ground campaigns. She, write, she writes, uh, Cori Bush took down a political dynasty on her second try. She ended a 50-year stronghold. Do you understand what that means? The entire black political establishment came after Tish and she put them in the ground. Do you understand what this means? The white status quo tried to silence Kim Gardner. They ran a white Southside moderate against her with the backing of the police union and mega donors. And Kim put them in the ground. Do you understand what this means? It means this is our city and we can have it all. Unstoppable black women at the helm of our political arena here in St. Louis. This is a seismic shift in the political landscape of our city. Jason, would you agree with that assessment from Kayla Reed? Oh, absolutely. And the fact that the congresswoman is is going to be replacing Clay. I mean, that, I, I, this is kind of an inside baseball point, but it can't be overstated. Uh, or understated. I don't know. Again, I'm tired. I don't know if I'm getting the words right. It, Congress people play a huge role in providing resources and organizational support for candidates in their district down the ballot. So the fact that Cori Bush is going to be in Congress and is going to have that you know, structural power in place means she's going to be able to influence politics far beyond just Washington. That's what Clay has been doing for years. That's what he did in 2018 when he helped win, you know, someone like Brian Williams win, although Brian Williams would point out, even though he got Clay's endorsement, he had to win on his own. Same with someone like Carla May or, or, or 
other people that are close to Clay in the legislature. Um, I do think that it's a seismic shift and I th- shift, and I think that Kayla Reed is absolutely right on that. I want to go to the phone lines. We have a ton of people um, very excited to join this conversation. Hopefully we can we can get to a few before we have to move to talking about the Cardinals. But uh, let's go to the phone lines. Hazel, uh, or sorry, Ava is calling from Hazelwood. I, too, am tired with no excuse for it in the way that you have. Um, Ava, hi. You're on St. Louis on hi. the air. Hi. How are you? Thank you for I, joining us. I was listening to your discussion. I follow you and um, Jason on Twitter, and I was thinking uh, what he just said about the seismic shift. I think business as usual is out the door. If not all the way, I I think it's going to happen, and I think this is a precursor to what's going to happen because we have a government with representatives in place in the Senate and the Congress who are responsive when they feel the need, but we're in trouble in this country. And it's the pandemic just magnifies the problems that we have. Ava, thank you so much for that point. This is really a time when, when people may be needing some change because things just aren't working in Washington. Oh, yeah. And I think that Cori Bush actually mentioned that in her speech, that things like the COVID-19 pandemic, which she contracted, I think, a couple of months ago, um, as also the economic downfall that we've had, I think has radically changed voting patterns. And, you know, it's interesting because I do think that a lot of the focus is on Cori Bush, as it should be. But I do think we do need to take a step back and, and just acknowledge the fact that both Lacey Clay and Bill Clay had an unbelievable impact on politics and policy in St. Louis. Bill Clay was the first black person to ever like create a political organization that wasn't subservient to a white person. Hmm. And I think that was revolutionary, not only in St. Louis, but also Missouri politics. And Lacey Clay has been in either state or federal office since 1983 and accomplished a lot. So I know that both of them are not going to be cheered on today because Cori Bush won and the winners are going to get the focus. And also there were aspects of Lacey Clay's campaign that people clearly didn't like. But I don't think we should necessarily diminish their their impact on St. Louis politics, even if people wanted somebody else. I want to go back to the phone lines. And thanks again to Ava for that call. Um, let's talk to Layla, who's calling from University City. Um, Layla, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, thank you. I've actually never called into the radio. This is sort of exciting. We're excited to have you. Uh, what, what has stirred you to act in this moment and pick up the phone and dial? <laughs> well, you know, we were, look, Congressman Clay was great for Missouri. I don't have anything against him. But our family's not African-American, but my daughter decided to volunteer for Corey and absolutely adored her. And she got our whole family involved in the election. My husband actually went out and worked the polls yesterday. I think we're just thrilled to see this new progressive energy and have this young African-American woman representing um Missouri in in Congress. So um, 
it, it was just a thrilling night. And then to see Medicaid expansion on the same night and all these other candidates winning was so nice to have an election where some of our candidates actually won. Well, Layla, thank you so much for that. And, and yeah, I'm definitely feeling that energy out here in St. Louis. I want to go back to the phone lines. Uh, Zia is calling from St. Louis. Um, Zia, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a great fan of your show, Sarah, Thank and you. enjoy that. Uh, the point that I wanted to make was that uh, clearly I have a lot of respect for what Lacey Clay and uh, Bill Clay did uh, for the city of St. Louis and for the African-American community. But unfortunately, in this election, we saw uh, a desperation which led to really some... Uh, flyers and some factors that we found were there to divide the people and were frankly not only disappointing but disgusting. And Zia, do you, do you think those flyers um, backfired with some voters? Yes, yes, ma'am, I think. And I'm talking specifically about the one in which he took out of context a picture of uh, Linda Sansour and Corey Bush, which was for uh, an interfaith activity in which all faiths represented, Jewish people, Muslims, um, uh, and Christians and all. But he put it in the context and painted it as a terrorist, which again is absolutely a, a wrong depiction, mm-hmm. and uh, tried to link with that. And I think that disappointed a lot of people and was certainly not in uh, not along the stature of uh, a person like uh, uh, Lacey Clay, and the family represented dis- disappointed people, and I think result in a lot of people voting for uh, Cory Bush. Zia, yeah, thank you so much for that point. Um, Jason, we also got a tweet on this. Uh, this is from Maud, who says, What light can you shed on the mailers that suggested that Cory Bush supports anti-Semitic, anti-Israel policies? And that's the same flyer that right. Zia is referring to there. It showed her with uh, Linda Sarsour, who was an organizer of the Women's March, and had herself said some controversial remarks. Um, well, you know, I don't I don't think Cori Bush has shied away from the fact that she has been critical of Israel and the Israeli government headed by Benjamin Netanyahu. A lot of people that are kind of aligned with uh, the some what I would classify as the I guess I don't want to call the progressive left, but certainly with Bernie Sanders have been. Sure. And and, and that's not that unreasonable. The Netanyahu government in Israel is is extremely provocative on a lot of, and I'm saying this as a Jewish person. Like, I I think that that goes without saying. I think what Clay may have been trying to do is there is there is a there is a significant Jewish population that lives in parts of the first district, but probably more in the second district. And I think by bringing that that specific mailer up, it may have backfired given that there are a lot of Muslim residents that live in the first district. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of an example of a misfire on Clay's part that I just think ended up helping Cory Bush win. I want to go back to the phone lines. Harvey is calling from Chesterfield. Um, Harvey, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Jason, looking at uh, the voter turnout uh, statewide, it looks like the Republicans had a significantly higher uh, turnout than the Democrats, and I'm a little bit surprised by that, I, um, especially with the Medicaid expansion uh, and some of the other things going on. I really expected to see a stronger Democratic turnout. 
Harvey, that's a that's a really interesting question. Jason, I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, there were a number of competitive state Senate races in outstate Missouri where there were only Republicans. So that's probably one of the reasons. That would drive some real turnout amongst GOP voters. And also, the other thing you have to keep in mind is that in Kansas City, even though we had some very competitive state Senate races, like the 5th District race, which was run by, won by Steve Roberts, and the 13th District race, which was won by Angela Mosley, the Kansas City Senate races were pretty uncompetitive. Barbara Washington and Greg Razor won their races in a walk. So because of that, and that's the other Democratic area of the state, I just don't think like the energy was there in Kansas City where it was in St. Louis. And the fact that there was a lot of other races energizing Republicans probably led to high Republican turnout. I don't know if it's going to be super indicative of the general election because turnout's going to be higher overall. And we just don't know how Biden's standing is going to be in Missouri. And that will probably determine which party comes out on top on some statewide races. That actually leads us right into a tweet that we got from Daniel, um, who's curious, Jason, if you think Cory Bush's win will influence Biden's vice president choice, seeing that kind of energy for a black woman here in Missouri. I don't know exactly. I do think that Biden is under a lot of pressure to select a black woman because you could make a strong argument that black women and black people are responsible for Biden being the nominee because he was not doing very well until South Carolina gave him a huge victory on the wave of black voters. So I don't know if that I don't know necessarily if this particular result will influence that already already pressure. I do know that if Biden does choose a black woman um, as a, as the running mate. It could have an impact in places like Missouri, where there's significant black populations that almost gave Barack Obama the the state's electoral votes. And even if Biden doesn't win Missouri, if he's able to hold down the margin a little bit, that could help someone like Nicole Galloway in, in a tough race against Governor Mike Parson. And Jason, I want to ask you one more question related to the Bush-Clay race. And then there are a couple other things I do want to touch on in the time we have today. Sure. Um, and this is something that is a rumor that has been circulating that that came in from a caller who we don't have time to put him on. But Max is curious, um, was there Rex Sinkfield money behind Cory Bush's campaign? I have no idea. Um, I I have no evidence to put to say that. I don't know. That is the first time I've heard that rumor. And I will say personally, I have seen no evidence of that either. Um, If someone has evidence of that, I think Jason and I would probably both be interested in hearing it. Yeah, Um, I, I... I, that's the best answer I have to that. I'm, I don't I don't have a great answer on that one. Well, I appreciate you addressing it. And I do want to move to St. Louis County, mm-hmm. um, which I think some of us thought coming in might be the most exciting race of the night. And it ended up being a little bit of a snooze, which is good news to the incumbent St. Louis County Executive Sam Page. What do you make of the fact that he had a pretty easy uh, cruising to victory there? Well, I mean, I, I too was kind of expecting that to be the marquee result. And obviously, that was way outshined by Cori Bush winning. It was a tough race for Sam Page. The race against uh, uh, Jake Zimmerman and Mark Montavani in particular was very, very negative. I think that his county executive administration and leadership were called into question really, really harshly, whether it be his COVID response or how he handled the 
uh, police board's appointment of the new police chief. He doesn't appoint the police chief, but he did appoint most of the police board that appointed Mary Barton. But, you know, I do think that I do think it's hard to guess like what was crucial, but I, I think that even though he wasn't elected, he was appointed after Steve Stanger resigned. There is still power in incumbency. It's very possible that a lot of Democratic voters liked his COVID response and the fact that he placed some, you know, restrictions on businesses and a mask mandate. Um, and I, I obviously I don't think the Republican crossover that may have been trying to help Montevani was enough. St. Louis County is becoming a 60 percent plus Democratic county. And that means that you would have to have really stark divisions between multiple Democratic candidates for Republican crossover vote to matter. And that just wasn't enough for Montevani, who came in second. And, I, I, and you know, he also was trying to win black voters in North County, too. So I don't want to just say that that was the only type of votes he was getting. But Page emerged the victory. Clearly, the county voters do not want to turn the page. Oh, Jason, you had to go there. We were doing so well. And then you whipped out the pun. Um, (laughs) One last thing I want to make sure we talk about in our final couple minutes here, and that is that Medicaid expansion was approved. Is this yet another example of Missouri voters being more progressive than the representatives that they elect? Is there more to it? It could be. Uh, Unlike some of the other initiatives that you were alluding to, this failed pretty badly in some of the rural areas, but it passed in St. Charles and Greene County, Hmm. and it passed in St. Louis County with over 75 or around 75 percent of the vote. I, I knew once I saw the fact that it was competing in Green and St. Charles and passing overwhelmingly in St. Louis County, it was going to pass. You called this pretty early. I did. You don't tend to call things No, early. I don't. But I've never seen a statewide race where some some Democratic-leaning thing, and I understand Republicans support Medicaid expansion, but some. this is a big Democratic, Missouri Democratic Party platform plank. I've never seen an instance where you know, St. Charles and Greene County go with St. Louis, Kansas City, Boone County, St. Louis County, and it doesn't win. And that was the case here, especially when the margins in some of the places where in, in the in the suburban and urban parts were so big. I think this is a big win for the Missouri Democratic Party's platform. This has been something they've been pushing for for 15 plus years. The fact that it's in the Constitution is going to make it really difficult for the Republicans to overturn it unless they put something else on the ballot to overturn it, which I think is going to be very difficult. So I think what's probably going to happen is Missouri is going to be, I believe, as Jacqueline Driscoll said, the 38th state to uh, expand Medicaid under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act. It's a really, really big deal. So a couple of really big deal things came out of last night and a number of incumbents holding their jobs. It was certainly a, a very interesting night, as it always is. And um, St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jason Rosemont, I want to thank you so much for lending us your insight on a morning when I know you're very tired. So thank you. And I, I apologize for the terrible pun earlier. You know what? I'm going to forgive you, but only because otherwise I so enjoyed this conversation. So thanks, Jason. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.